Why don't we start carrying on in our sermon series um, in Philippians? Now, uh, now, what we're going to be thinking about tonight is what I think really is the secret to contentment, the secret to the happy life in a lot of ways. Because I think really that's something we want, isn't it? Like, we want to be happy. It'd be very weird for a person to be like, you know what, all I want in my life is to be utterly miserable, never have a job, never have a roof over my head, like, just, just basically have no hope at all. But you'd be going, like, probably a psych ward? Like, like really, deep down, we want to be happy, don't we? And maybe that's kind of reflected in things like kind of the World Happiness Report, um, which apparently is legit in that the UN published it. Um, and the UK is the 19th happiest country in the world. Didn't know whether you know that. That means we are happier than the French, happier than the Spanish, happier than the Uzbekistanis. Um, but also means that we're a long, long way below those um, annoying Scandinavian countries with their hill products, um, their flat-packed furniture on tap, and delicious, delicious meatballs. Um, uh, no wonder they're happy. Uh, not national stereotyping there at all. Um, but we want to be happy, don't we? But yeah, there's kind of a disconnect between that because the Prince's Trust recently released a, a report um, that showed that, that young people inside of the UK are the unhappiest that they've ever been across every area of their lives. Aspirationally, relationally, emotionally, every area of their lives. So we are the least happy, I include myself inside that, that we've ever been. There's a rampant crisis of teenage mental health with it reckoned that towards 70, 75% of teenagers experience some form of mental health problems during their teenage years. That 57% of young women and girls are crippled by senses of, am I really good enough? Like, there's a disconnect going on between maybe what we aspire towards of happiness and what we experience in our day-by-day lives. And so what we're going to be thinking about is, is, could there be any merit in what this guy Paul starts to say about? Because he's a guy who was writing the first century AD, so just, just, a few years, um, about, uh, just a few years after Jesus was walking on the earth. Um, and, and he starts to say things like, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned how to be content in hunger or when I've got plenty. He's, he's the guy who's, who's prepared to say, you know what, whether, whether I live or die, you know what, actually, I don't really mind. He's, he's the guy who's literally facing his potential demise at the hands of a tyrannical, a tyrannical emperor who is probably going to kill him anytime soon. He's literally bound up in chains and says, you know what, it's for Jesus. Meh, it's all right. Like, in many ways, you look at that and you're like, what? Like, I don't know many people at all who are in that context who are like, literally about to die in terms of being bound up facing someone who just wants to kill them who can turn around and say, you know what, actually, I'm quite happy here. I'm quite content. I'm at peace. I've got joy inside of me. And, and for me, that kind of poses a few questions of, of what, how? What, what is happening to him where he can say that things and seem to be completely like, cognitively able and say, you know what, I have learned contentment in every situation that I've gone in. And to think maybe, just maybe, I could learn that too. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at two verses inside of Philippians. Philippians 4, um, and it's verses 8 and 9, to just start to dig in into what actually maybe Paul starts to reveal is the secret to, to contentment. He says this, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think 
about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, it would be very easy to overcomplicate that because actually I think it's quite straightforward what Paul's saying. Like the, the summary of this entire message is if it's helpful, think about it. If it, if it isn't, don't. Like that's literally what he's saying here. If it's good, if it's pure, if it's honorable, if it's trustworthy, if it's just, if it's excellent, think about it. Good things. He's listing like nine different things there that all inside of his context, the Greco-Roman context, refer into things that are considered virtuous, good. So he's basically saying, if it's in any way good, consider it. And by logical extension, if it's not, then maybe, maybe let's not go there. And so in many ways, that is the undergirding theme of this. Whatever is good, if it helps you, if it, if it stirs you, if it encourages you, then think about that. Fill your mind with what is really going on. Because I think the reality is as well that we overcomplicate stuff ourselves in terms of this kind of pursuit of contentment, this pursuit of happiness. We look about it in kind of like a, a long-term plan mentality. So we kind of think like, you know, if I just get this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Then I'll have enough. Like, um, I guess a classic one would be something to do with finances. Like we think, you know, if I could just have a little bit more, then I could maybe buy the house that I want, or I could, or I could go on the holidays that I want, or I could have the clothes that I want, or I could have the car that I want. Um, like, then I'll be happy. I'll be able to provide myself and the people that I love in the way that I want to be. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Then I'll have enough. Or maybe for, I think this is maybe something for a lot of us, we think about that in terms of our relationships. That actually if I just, if I just kind of get into um, the right relationships, surround myself with the, right, with the right people, maybe find the right boy or the right girl who maybe one day I can end up marrying, then I'd be happy sort of thing. Then I'd really find my meaning. Then I could start a family, all these sorts of things. We kind of put that long-term plan inside of it. Um, or we might, I guess, kind of um, go into kind of things like careers. We might go, well, if I can just bump up enough, if I can just kind of really make something in myself, if I can have an influence, then maybe, yeah, actually, you know what, then I'd be happy. And in some ways, it's not to say that striving for things isn't, isn't right and having desires to, do, to kind of um, to, to get good things in life is bad. But, but they don't really affect our here and now. They don't really help us in terms of our day-by-day life because the reality is you don't have those things yet. And so what does that mean for now? Like, it's not going to give you contentment. It's not going to give you happiness now if you don't have it. And the other kind of, sorry to be a bit blunt here, the other reality is we are all going to die. Like, none of those things will help us in the long run. Relationships are quite hard to do when we're in the ground. Money, possessions don't come with us. Careers don't really mean much. Biblically speaking, in terms of being inside of a church, we believe in eternity. Do those things count? Not really. And so the question becomes, what about the here and now? What is it that Paul would say really is the thing that, that helps us in the day-by-day moment to find contentment, to, to find happiness, to find joy, whatever the things are going on? And Paul is saying inside of these verses, it's to do with our minds. It's to do with our mindset and our attitude towards stuff. In another letter to a church in Rome, um, he, talks about the, in, he talks about be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To, to, to know really what's going on and to allow your thinking to affect the way that you feel, the way that you experience life and what's going on. 
that doesn't really work always for us um, as kind of people who are caught up in what's called a postmodern worldview, where quite often we're kind of led by our feelings and kind of what feels authentic or what feels right towards us. Paul, Paul is kind of slightly pushing back on us and saying, sometimes we need to be more governed by what we think and what we know to be true than actually by what we feel and we experience. Because I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret. When you, um, anyone inside of this room, puts their faith inside of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, believing that on the cross he died for you and made payment for your sins, your fundamental identity changes in an instant. Like, it is permanently and ultimately, finally, totally boxed in as this is now you. And that identity is one that says you are loved, you are accepted, that you are beyond any form of attack or condemnation, that nothing about you can ever change the way that a heavenly father who is perfect and just looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in him, in her, I am well pleased. Not on the basis of what you've done, but on who you are. That you are free, that there is no shame, there is no guilt inside of you at all. And you can walk in light of that. You can know deep in your very being that you are loved, that you are accepted. And nothing and no one can ever take that away from you. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is walk inside of that because it is true. You are adopted, you are chosen, you are accepted and you are loved. End of story, full stop. But it can take a little bit of time for our minds to catch up with that. Because the reality is that we don't live in the light of that. What would it do for you if you really got hold of that inside of yourself, that there's a God up there, eternal, vast, who looks at you with pleasure? What would that do for you? How would it change the way you experience your life? I think it puts a bit of perspective in. Makes you kind of realize, you know what, actually all these things that maybe I'd be trying to find hope in, you know what, great if they happen, but... You know, actually, it's all right now. That, that God has a plan for me. God wants to use me in a way that no one else can. Wow. It's astounding. It's amazing. It gives me purpose. It gives me meaning. There's a story um, that uh, the IGM, International Justice Mission, a charity that uh, we partner with as a church, and it's kind of out of that where this Fighting Slavery Together um, event is coming up on the 13th of July, um, uh, tell. And it's about two girls who were rescued, I think, from, um, uh, from Southeast Asia, um, caught up in something called the, uh, the online sexual exploitation of children. Um, what that is is where children, tiny, tiny children, like as young as a couple of months old, to be honest, can be can be abused in front of um, in front of webcams for the perversion, perverted pleasures of people in the West. Um, and IGM go and they, they do rescue operations and then they try and start doing restoration work with the survivors of it. Um, and so they were doing this raid um, into the villages where these girls were held and they managed to find these girls and rescue them. Um, and so they were bringing them back to, a, to an aftercare center in the car. And the girls were going, what's going on? Why have you taken us away from, away from, our, away from kind of our community? Why, why are you doing these things? Like, we, we, were, we were safe there. Like, what's going on? Because they didn't understand that they were caught up in slavery. They didn't understand that, that what was happening to them was not actually how the, a child should be experiencing life. And so they're were, they were being brought in and the, and, the, and the social workers and the team there were, were signed to say to them, no, 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 you're free. You're free. You're not going to be hurt again. You're free. You're free. You're free. And it was only when they started to be given toys and, and bananas and things that they never experienced and saw that actually maybe really just maybe they were free, that it started to drop inside them a little bit more and a little bit more. And their faces start to turn and, and they realize, oh, actually, maybe we are free. We're not going to be hurt anymore. 
They realized, I guess, in a, in a way that their fundamental status had changed. Where once they were victims, slaves, now they were free. And the story goes that one of the girls turned around to the, to the workers and just said, what took you so long? Now that's, that's a sobering story. It is in a lot of ways. Because it challenges me so much about how is it that we can play our part in ending slavery now. That's why we're doing this event on Friday the 13th of July. Um, but it also challenges me because in many ways it's, it's, a, it's a picture of a spiritual reality over us. The fact that it can take a while for our minds to catch up really with what, with what Christ would say over us. The fact that like those girls, now we are free. Once you put our trust, our relationship inside of Jesus, we are free. Don't believe me? Um, well, listen to these. Galatians um, 5.13, you were called to be free. John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you were free indeed. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Acts 13.38-39, let it be known, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. Romans 8. One here, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Him. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I could go on and on. Literally, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible throughout that that say you are free. Hopefully, you're prepared to believe a weight of Scripture there that that's a truth over you. But sometimes it can take a while for us to really catch up with that to really understand that that's actually who we are. And so what Paul is encouraging is to really allow the truth of Scripture, allow the truth of the gospel to really work inside of us, to to encourage us, to inspire us towards, towards acting differently, to living in light of who we really are. Because it's already set in stone, we just need to live in light of it. And so Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is... Uh, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, so what are some of the practical tips, I guess, towards doing that? Well, I guess the first um, is, the, is the next verse inside of it, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace be with you. He's, he puts himself up um, almost as a model of it. He says, you know what? I think I'm doing all right with this. So, so you know what? Just, just kind of bear me in mind. Think, what would Paul do in this instance? It seems a little bit egotistical, if I'm honest. Like a little bit vain for Paul to go, I'm great, look at me. Um, but, but I guess kind of the counter to that is like, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 out of 27 letters inside of the books inside the New Testament. He's kind of a big deal. Like, he, um, he's kind of probably the second most influential person inside of human history in the sense of he pretty much formed Christianity most after Jesus himself. Um, he's also the guy who kind of plants churches for fun, raises people from the dead just kind of for giggles, and he even, like, heals someone with his hanky. Like, like, he's kind of got some stuff going on where I'm like, okay, my resume's not quite as good as that, if I'm honest, in terms of really understanding the gospel. But Paul's saying... Maybe, just maybe, get in community. 
Find people who are a little bit further along with you or quite a bit further along with you and go, actually, how can I learn from them? How can I apply stuff in them like, like they do? Can I, start, can I learn to pray like they do or read the Bible like they do or, or live my life similar to, to them? Get in community around people who will shape you and form you. For me, it happens uh, both kind of in the sense of the communities and the church that I belong to. So my real encouragement is, Jenny mentioned our communities booklet. If you're not in a community of people who can just encourage you and help you to do what Paul's saying here, get in one. Have a look through that booklet. Find one that's going to encourage you. But, but also just kind of to find people you can look up to. I do it. There are people inside this church where, where I, I just go, you know, what would they do? What would Colin do in this situation? What would Tony do in that situation? What would my mum do? What would my dad do? My sister, people who are just a little bit further along than me, who I can go, actually, that's quite helpful for me right now. Um, And I guess kind of the other thing that Paul's encouraging is that we do this to the world around us as well. We we model this, this, this contentment, this happiness, this joy to a world outside there who badly needs it. Those 57% of girls who are crippled at a young age over, am I good enough? When there's a God up there who says, yes, you already are. I've made you the way that you are. There's a challenge there for for us as Christians to to live out to a world that is crying out for happiness and contentment, to to model it by how we are. Get in community, share it with the world around us. But it's also being being able to know what is helpful and what's not helpful. The first bit of that, what is helpful, the biggest single way you're going to get to know that, this book, the Bible. Getting this inside of you, understanding what it is that God would really say over you, unpacking it, knowing it, so that the truth of it can affect the way in which you live your life. I had a real encounter of this um, uh, this week with work. Um, uh, So I'm training to be a social worker, and a whole bunch of stuff had really kicked off inside of my cases. And it was really stressful and really hard. I was feeling out of my depth, no idea what was really I was meant to do, and just like, oh, dear Lord, help me right now. And and as I was walking up to the office from the car, I just kind of pulled out my Bible and flipped to um, the psalm that was a song that was um, kind of my reading for that day. And it ended up being, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He prepares a banqueting table before my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. His rod and staff protect me. Knowing that I had a God, a shepherd, who was guiding me, who was helping me, who was anointing me to do the stuff that I was needing to do that day, just changed how I was feeling in the moment because I knew I was not alone. Because despite my feelings, the truth was saying something else is different going on. And so I was able to apply that into my life and know a different reality. I was able to find some measure of contentment in a day that was full of stress because I knew what God was saying over me in that moment. Knowing this book will tell you really what is helpful and what is not helpful. But I guess then it's recognizing that there are a whole bunch of voices that go around, a whole bunch of things which try and tell us other stuff about us. Um, uh, uh, an example of this, and this isn't me going to start bashing it, but um, something like Love Island. Um, honestly, I promise I'm not going to bash this um, because I know there's people in the room who watch it quite a lot uh, and I'm going to be lynched if I do. Um, but but, um, but I, saw, I saw a magazine article earlier, um, earlier this week, uh, just the cover on Twitter, which a friend tweeted out, which had two, two titles next to each other. The first was Get Yourself Love Island Body Ready. The one below it was the UK's teenage body crisis problem. 
as if the two of those aren't linked in some capacity. Because, because what we're given is we're given this voice that's telling us this is what beautiful looks like. If, if, if a girl is curvy, toned, lean, and, 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 and thin, then that can be beautiful. And proof of that is the fact that the, the costumes seem to sell out within hours of the show being broadcast. And for guys, if you don't have a washboard strapped to your chest, then frankly, you've got no chance. Like, it's telling us that beauty looks a certain way. It's a voice that is saying that. And so knowing the fact that God would say something different over us, that you are uniquely and wonderfully made is completely different to that. Being able to know where the lies might be trying to affect you so that you can stand against them and say, actually, that's not going to be helpful for me. I'll listen to something else there. It's part of the challenge. Knowing the truth, thinking about it, allowing it to be, transform your mind will help you find a measure of contentment so you're not caught up in the way that so much of the world is. But I think as well there's... Um, I felt like God was saying there's, a, there's kind of an honest conversation that's to be had about things that can twist our minds here, and that's in the area of pornography. Um, because the reality is for a whole bunch of people um, inside of this room, lots of people outside of this room as well, porn is something that we struggle with, we don't talk about, um, and we can feel shame about. I know, I've been there. For um, maybe... 10 years of my life, it was something which I didn't really want to talk about, but I was struggling with. Um, and I'd feel shame. I'd feel condemnation because I knew maybe what the Bible would say. You hear those talks, which are kind of like, which is kind of, sexual immorality is wrong, don't go there. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I can't seem to find freedom from this. Or I'd think there'd be freedom for a while, and, and then it just wouldn't come. Um, or I'd slip back in, and I'd heap judgment upon myself. I'd, I'd just feel terrible about myself. How can I be here? sort of thing. But what I really believe is, is that tonight God wants to work inside of some people to tell you that, that freedom is possible because it has already been won for you. For some of us, that might be that it is an instant thing. There is a renewal of your mind instantly. But that for others, it might be a slow transformation, putting in steps to practically help you. Because one of the worst things that I myself experience about the era of pornography and lust is that it just twists our minds that what starts off as kind of just something that seems quite innocent um, can just not be effective after a while, that we become muted to it. And, and slowly we, we descend further and further down, which adds more and more, more shame into it. And the reality is that is not what God would have for you. God would put a different story over your life. God would put a different story over the place of, of sex and relationships. He would. And that he'd say, you are free already. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So come and learn to walk in light of that. For me personally, um, the, the way in which I started to find some freedom was, was by practically putting some steps in place. Um, things like um, I kind of decided, you know what, I'll keep my phone, I'll keep a tablet, internet, available stuff downstairs so it's not by my bed. Because that was a time when I would struggle. It would be. Um, I, I chose that I wouldn't watch certain things because I knew it wasn't going to be helpful for me. For me, uh, an example of that would be I just decided, you know what, Game of Thrones is probably not going to be helpful. And so I just decided, you know what, there's a lot of sex inside of it, that's not going to be helpful, I won't do that. I chose to try and think on what was good rather than think on something that wasn't going to be helpful for me. Um, equally, I, talked with, I started to talk with people a bit more. Even now, kind of a, a few weeks back, I had a conversation just in my house saying, this has been a weakness for me in the past. Can you just ask me occasionally, how are you doing with this? Are you right with it? 
so that around there is community, people who I know actually only want the best for me um, and who would be calling out the truth inside of me, who would encourage me through that. And then ultimately, the biggest thing that changed it for me, this, again, knowing who I was, knowing what God's story was over me, knowing really who I was in Christ, that he would say something different, and allowing that to shape my mind, allowing that to affect the way in which I would feel, affect the way in which I was processing, to know that he would say, resist the devil, and he would flee, helps a little bit to walk in those truths, countless of them, which we can help you with. I do believe that God would want to start people on a course towards freedom tonight. And that part of it, in terms of any of our lives, porn is just one that I felt God particularly laid um, on me to talk about tonight. But across all areas of our lives, if you feel some level of discontent in your life, some level of shame, some level of, of where you, what I was talking about in terms of the status over you is not true for you, I believe God wants to start changing you inside of that, helping you to transform your mind, thinking on what is truth, thinking on what is helpful, thinking on what is excellent, and ultimately what is praiseworthy, commendable, and is only going to help you find peace, joy, and contentment in your life. We're going um, to kind of close in a slightly different way tonight. Um, so in a, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. Now, communion is something that we do as Christians um, to remember Jesus. Um, it's a time of kind of coming together um, to... To, um, to remember what Jesus has done for us. So we take bread, um, which, which symbolizes Jesus' body, and we take uh, wine or grape juice in our, in our, uh, in our circumstance here um, to remember his blood. Um, and so his body that was broken on the cross and, um, and his blood that was poured out for us. And that by that, that is where we find freedom. That is where we know who we are. It is a moment in history that we remember and we give thanks for. Literally, this is called the Eucharist, thanksgiving. That's what we do. And, and so what we're going to do um, is in a few minutes, we will, we will take it. Um, and there's an opportunity there for you to pray with someone and, and it's maybe to share if something's hit you or you're like, actually, this is going on for me. Could we pray about it? Could you allow, could you pray that God would help me transform my mind to apply how Paul is here? Then we can do that. Um, respectfully, um, I would ask if, if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call Jesus your Lord and Savior, this is something that we do as Christians. Um, so um, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. But in terms of actually taking the bread and, and the wine, that's something which we kind of would ask for people who, who know Jesus and love Jesus to do. But before we get there, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going um, to read Philippians together, because the way that this book, uh, this letter was, was written was not to be broken down into manageable chunks, kind of like, um, like we, we do on a Sunday. Instead, it was, it, was, it was read out as a whole. What would have happened is the, the church in Philippi, in, in kind of around one-day Turkey era, they would, have, they would have been having a meal together. They would have been probably taking communion, and they would have heard um, the news that Paul had written them. They would have been excited. They would have been like, Paul's written to us, Paul's written to us. We know he's in prison. What is he going to be saying? What is, what's going to be going on? And so they would have, they would have over, someone would have stood up and read out this letter because not all of them could read. A bunch of slaves inside of the church, they're going to need to audibly hear it. And what happens is that they would allow kind of the, the shape of it, the truth inside of it to, to, um, to shape them and affect them and, and give them stuff to mull on for their weeks ahead in terms of how they're living their lives. So the reading of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture is something that's happened throughout, uh, throughout God's people's history. It happens in the Old Testament, Josiah, um, when he finds the book of the law. Um, so it's kind of the, uh, the first five books of the Bible, opens it up and reads it because he's so excited about what's going on. And, 
And so we're going to do the same thing. We're going to um, read this. And my encouragement is to just go, is there something here that strikes home? Is there something that really I want to hook on or, or just, oh, that seems interesting. It might, if you've been here before in the past few weeks, you might remember a certain sermon and go, like, oh, there was that bit. That was really helpful. And so just think, what strikes to me here? How can I maybe apply this a bit more in our lives? So are you ready for it? We're going to read Philippians together. Let's quickly pray. Um, Father, we thank, you for, um, we thank you for your words to us today. That, that just as Paul was writing to Philippi, by your spirit, he is writing to us as well, your church, your people. And so I pray for all of us, whether we know you or not, that as we come before you and hear some of your words, that you would, um, you would just kind of warm us towards what you want us to hear. We'd be receptive and we'd be open to, to what it is you want to highlight to us and what it is you want to draw. We ask, uh, Holy Spirit, just be with us. Speak to us. Amen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, sharers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to, to affect me, to wound me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, for my good. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, good work for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two of them. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only 
Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am away, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but to you of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, or selfishness, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed, given to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or work in vain even if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all likewise you should be glad and rejoice in me I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare for all those others seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ but you know Timothy you know his proven worth how as a son With a father, he served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, that I can send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust in the Lord that I'll be able to come to you also. I thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me, my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. In fact, he was ill. He was close to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but actually me as well, so that I wasn't having sorrow upon my sorrow. And so I am more eager to send him, so that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious about how you're feeling. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor men just like him, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. To write that to you is no trouble for me, but it's safe for you also. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though actually, I have reason for confidence in my flesh also. If anyone thinks that he's got reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, literally trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already got this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, what has happened in the past and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything in you thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you also, and you let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many who I've often told you and now even tell you it is, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their ends destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on very earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to have all things under him. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Doya, and I entreat Sintaichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, also, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life for all eternity. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything at all worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice them, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to share it. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you that you'd share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving but you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help when my needs came again and again. Now that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And I know my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.